Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about rolling a 12-plus and screaming to change the color of your hair. I'm Brandon. And I'm James. Today we'll be talking about the shifting of authority when players seize narrative control. Okay, so I think we have a kind of an interesting topic that we want to start trying to jump into on this one. We have talked about GMless systems. We've talked about GM full systems. We've talked about narrative permission, but we've got yeah. kind of a funky idea that we want to play around with a little bit. And it ties into two possibilities of games. Well, it ties into two different games that we're kind of both percolating over. Uh, one method ties into a uh, sort of matrix style players and characters themselves defining what is the actual reality of what's going on and the other is uh, Riverdale (laughs) (laughs) so I think it'll be very obvious what ties those two concepts together yep leather pants uh, unreliable narrators is it is that what we're doing I I didn't think that's what we were doing I mean, you know, in a so in a you know in a manner of speaking, we are okay. I thought we were doing reliable uh, actions <laughs> by the players. I mean, <laughs> we are, but also that feeds into unreliable narrators. Okay, I, I mean, whatever. We're not, we're not really talking about unreliable narrators. <laughs> okay, so let's. We're talking about who gets to establish facts. Yes. So okay, so I want to back up because one of the things that we talk about is. Um, is is group storytelling. Yes. Uh, a lot of what we talk about in this podcast is the idea that you are a group of people and and and, and you are telling a story together. And and we tend to favor systems that are more modern that aren't that don't take that form of the like old school D&D adventure where you are um where there is a GM who is bringing you a story as the players and the players live in that story that the GM controls. Right. Though there's still a bunch of uh, very modern games that are coming out right now that maintain that same sort of GM brings the story. A lot of the more traditional games still maintain that. The OSR movement as a whole really has a lot of that. It's really when you get into the indie story stuff that we tend to play in that it has moved kind of a big way away from that. And and even still, even in those things, sessions like or Earth, and I think that this is a great example. Is um, <laughs> so we talk about Powered by the Apocalypse a lot, and that that is the one of the games that we both really enjoy. And it is a game that is definitely defined by group storytelling. But one of the kind of like dark, not really dark secrets, but like something that is there if you are paying attention is that like the GM doesn't roll. The GM, when you're running a Powered by the Apocalypse game, generally doesn't roll dice. The things they say happen, and the players deal with them. Like what they, the player said, the the GM will say something has happened, and then the players will respond, and then they will roll, and then they will get to build story, uh, and the community and the group will build that story together. But no one is questioning the actions of the GM when they say, "Hey, the orc comes running, screaming out of the cave, and attacks you." Right, and so that actually, I think, even unveils a darker, deeper secret. Um, By the way, if you see Vincent Baker coming into the room to kill me for revealing these secrets, let me know. Oh, no. And I'll do the same for you. 
You've got okay. a window. I, I know that he will climb through windows to kill people that give away Powered by the Apocalypse dark secrets. Yeah. Uh, so just be aware. Uh, this might be. Our, this is our final recording. Yep. Uh, Unfortunately. Although actually, we'll, we might get another one out before this comes out, so we'll see. Uh, depends if he gets to tap into the Psychic Maelstrom. I'm a little off topic. Let me pull it on back. The the bigger, even darker secret beneath lurking beneath that secret is that there are supposedly rules for the GM in Apocalypse mm-hmm. World and Apocalypse yeah. World style games. And those rules for the GM are kind of like a lie. Because everyone says, oh yeah, the GM only makes a move when they when there's a roll that ha- that's low enough that they get to make the move. Or when there's a golden opportunity. And the secret is that there's always a golden opportunity. Yeah. Like, if you're playing a superhero story, there is always a moment to exploit. There's always something you can go diving after right right then. So, yeah. in truth, the GM's just doing whatever they want. Yeah. Which is okay if they're following the principles and agendas and everything like that. But yeah. the whole GM only gets to make certain moves is just, is just a lie. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, masks famously doesn't have a way for characters to die but anytime you're making a character you're adding moves that are specifically for that character so you could make Mm. moves like kill somebody and then boom characters can die (laughs) yeah so we were talking in the discord recently um about games well there've been there's been a lot of talk in general about uh like shonen anime style games um which are sort of featuring big action sequences and then like young um and people fighting um and and then then that sort of transitioned into some conversations about the matrix and in a discussion about what a matrix game might look like I started thinking about that moment at the end of the, the first Matrix. So, spoilers for the first Matrix movie. Okay. Uh, um, I've never seen it, so I'm going to go ahead and take off my headphones Okay, for the rest of the episode. Um, okay. So, when, when Neo finally sort of accepts that he is the one and has some extra control over the Matrix that he shouldn't necessarily have because he's just a guy jacked in. Yeah. Um, there's that moment when he gets, I think he gets punched and he comes back up and suddenly he sees the world as the, the digits and the scrolling green and blue te- black text uh, the scrolling green and black text that it really is, and he's able to see into people, and he's able to stop bullets, and that's where he sort of takes narrative control. And so I sort of hypothesized, wouldn't the most Matrix Matrix game be one in which suddenly, because of some action, one of the players became the GM? Right. In that way that, like, in a in a Powered by the Apocalypse game, or and really in most games... The GM is not rolling. Even in D anD D, like the GM is setting difficulties, um, and the GM does for a lot of things. Yeah, and the GM doesn't have to roll dice to say a dragon comes down from the sky. The GM exactly. just says a dragon comes down from the sky. Yeah, but if the player says, "Hey, I'd like to jump on this dragon that just appeared," uh, it came down from the sky. The GM would could say, "Hang on one second. Uh, there is no dragon. I don't know what you're talking about." Yeah, but what if the the player could say, hey, I'd like to jump on that dragon that just came down from the sky. And the GM 
couldn't say anything. So they're still like, and this is the thing that like I had to clarify. I think um, was that I think that the, the GM is still playing all of the NPCs. Like they're still playing the world, but the one character has that sort of like narrative godlike power to just say things happen and not have to roll for them, and then everyone else has to roll to respond. Right. So I think you've kind of got a a player who is the the GM or the antagonist or however you want to word it. And then you also have sort of floating power uh, that moves from seat to seat. So when things are starting out, you probably your antagonist has that they're doing the standard powered by the apocalypse thing where they're doing the doing what they want to essentially uh, probably with some, some requirements on it, but never having to touch any dice. Yep. And then when a player takes it over using some kind of a move, then the uh, the initial GM antagonist player continues to be an antagonist, but is now having to use their own set of moves mm-hmm. in response to the players. Yeah, or even just basic moves. Oh, like true. They control yeah. more people, so they would just be subject to the basic moves. Um and then, and, and so we had briefly discussed the idea that this might be a good two-player game. Yeah. Um, because, and I think that it is. But I want to take this a step further and suggest that you could play this with a party, with a full party of people. And that just the, that, and, and because, so the way that I envision, so, okay, let's just pause for one sec and talk about just kind hold of. Hold on. And, and jump ahead, actually, to a little bit of what we're talking. It's like the, 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 the sort of the thing that we ended up at okay. so that we can kind of be aware of what we're talking about as we move through this, yeah. which is that we started thinking about like, what, like what, is the, what is narrative control? We've talked about no GMless games, that sort of thing. Um, and so it's clearly something that we're interested in. Um, and, and I liked the idea that that, 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 that thing isn't like a it's not a um, it's not a binary option where like there is someone who has narrative control and doesn't have to answer for their narrative decisions uh, or there is no one who does that and we share it co- completely yeah but that there is that person but that that power sort of like moves between people and so that in a game where you have multiple people interacting, they would take actions and in sort of almost like a, a priority system, like in fencing, mm-hmm. we've, I feel like we've used the we've analogy used, of fencing like yeah. in the last three episodes, <laughs> but in a priority system, like in fencing, you would have players would get to make attacks or make actions. And then if they were parried and someone else took the right of way, they would receive that sort of uh, unquestionable authority that the GM has, and then get to describe actions that the rest of the players would have to respond to. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that, I think that it has. I think that you would. Str- the only thing that I think you would struggle with is that I think that it would have to be an Urban Shadows or a some sort of a game where the players are a little antagonistic towards each other as well as towards the main antagonist sort of like bad guy structure. Because if you want the players to be passing power between each other. So like I guess in a system where they were where where the players are unquestionably they're on a team of superheroes together mm. then the, the the that sort of GM authority will only ever pass back and forth between the GM and the and a, and a player but I like the idea of it passing back and forth between players. So I was actually well. doing a little bit of thought on this and okay. I think that you could do some big epic stories yeah. Where all of the characters have to be doing different things. Okay. And have a similar sort of thing working. 
So like, oh. uh, if you are four swordsmen fighting goblins all at once, then this kind of doesn't work because as soon as someone has their big authorial control, they just might say like, and then I kill all the goblins. And then there's no option for people to be doing different things. But if you're in a scenario where like one person, one person's doing this thing, one person's doing something else, one person's sneaking through a thing, someone else is uh, blasting their mind through a psychic hellscape, then at that point, players are still making rolls. Even while one person is going full on wild, like, uh, oh man, can I, can I use a scene from Thor Ragnarok? Cause it's perfect. I think so. It's so recent. I feel bad. I think we're outside of the, the spoiler zone. Okay. So if you don't want, if you don't want mild spoilers for Thor Ragnarok, like pretty mild, I'm going to try to keep it very, very cool. Skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, so there is a scene on a bridge where the characters are all fighting all sorts of different zombie hordes and stuff like that. And one of the characters just takes that authorial control and mm-hmm. he blasts off into space and, and is fighting someone specifically. And that is what I think that authorial control looks like, right? Yeah. The shift from the shift from Hela to Thor is the antagonist losing their authorial control and there's still plenty of stuff for everybody else to do. They're all battling their cool stuff and having an awesome scene, but they aren't just like wading through enemies in the same way. So I think that yeah, having like epic level stuff may work just as well, even if you are in a party, as long as you're not all doing the same thing. Yeah. I wonder if... I wonder if we even have to really limit ourselves to a singular source of authorial power uh, or of narrative control. Like mm. if so what if we say hypothetically that the system that the system sort of like rough that we're as we're that, this isn't really a system we're just sort of like doing a thought experiment here but like if we say the rules by which this work are that the player makes a move against their antagonist or the, the, the antagonist does something yeah. and the player is responding and the player rolls well enough or the or uh, in, there's something that happens where basically they parry or they they land a hit and they score the the sort of the narrative control. They would take that from the antagonist and do that. Well, then in something like Lord of the Rings, all of the characters do that. It like during like um, true. There are there are many large battle sequences where the the main characters go from kind of like just being guys on the on the ground and like being a little bit better at fighting to like now Legolas is doing sweet skateboard tricks off of an elephant. <laughs> right. So so here's something just occurred to me. We had initially talked about this in kind of a what if we made a game for X. But it's occurring to me that this might be something that you could put on top of another system relatively easily. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said. So, okay, for the GM, we already have a list of GM moves, right? The things that they can just decide to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it might make some sense to do something similar for players, maybe based upon their playbook. Like, Mm -hmm. if you are playing Dungeon World and you are the fighter, and abruptly you just, like, rend a hole in reality, yes, that's super cool, but it might not be... Like, if you you summon summon a cave troll as the hero, 
you, you better be able to explain in some way how that happened, right? You didn't yeah. just become a summoner because this is your big moment. But if you had like a little list of playbook moves for each of the playbooks or just kind of like a, hey, let's all keep kind of within the narrative that we're building, which in some games would be super, super broad. The Matrix would be super, super broad. Mm -hmm. Then you could basically just say, hey, when you roll a 14 plus, you take control. Or when you roll a 13 plus or whatever you want to put the number is for how frequently you want that to change. You know what's a, a, a move? That sort of is is um, a defining of a character or character archetype um, that gives character that gives the player full authorial control. What uh, is the moment of truth in masks? Oh that's damn, you're is. right. That's what this is. So what if you what if what if instead of being uh, triggered by unlocking a moment of truth as part of an advancement, yeah. you just like got. To had to do your moment of truth every time, or like every like four times you rolled a ten plus. Right. Uh, I mean, so the reason that I put it as just a single thing, yeah, is I think it can be very cool to have sometimes fights going like rapidly back and forth. Yeah. Right. Like we're like I, I'm picturing, oh, you know, the wheel of time. Yeah. This that could be rad for this because the players frequently would be normal-ish. Or like unable to control their powers in broad ways. Yeah. And then they take authorial control and it's like, oh yeah, I can just remake reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I think just having like, hey, on a, you, for each playbook, for each player, if there are moment of truth, then you can just grab that from masks. If not, you just write one for each player. And then you just kind of say like, hey, you roll high enough, it activates. Now, the only yeah, place like where things get a little fuzzy is, like, stats for the GM to be rolling with. Mm, yeah. But again, that's a relatively easy thing to do. You could just kind of have world stats for general things. Uh, yeah. If they're using the basic moves. Mm-hmm. How, they how, could almost just roll flat and still... Yeah, but if they're rolling flat, it's going to be hard for them to roll high enough to take it back. And I think if yeah. anything, the GM should be rolling a little bit higher to keep the opportunity for antagonism going. Or you just set the standard for them that we're taking it back lower. Like maybe anytime also the GM true. succeeds. Yeah, that could work. 10 or plus like, for the GM. Yeah. Maybe, oh, you could even put it that uh, how far you are into the game essentially hmm. determines what they're rolling. So like if you're <laughs> if you're doing a dungeon, then when you are initially when you're getting to the dungeon they're rolling a plus zero when you've just entered the dungeon plus one midway through plus two against the big boss plus three. Oh, you know what a system that would drive really well to for this would be would be something like um uh seventh c where you have oh, yeah. where you roll and you then spend raises to do things yeah and you could choose to spend a certain number of raises on a seizing authorial control which would <laughs> let you do sweet awesome piratey stuff and like summon like change the world around you yeah um and then the pl and then yeah and then basically anyone could do that because it would just be anytime anyone chooses to spend those those raises then they gain authorial control like that yeah that's very true fate you could just spend a certain number of fate points or choose to clear your fate points, maybe. Mm -hmm. So there is, there is another Skywalker. 
Oh no. Uh, because it just occurred to me. Where? Where? Where is the other Skywalker? I don't know. He's bigger. He's a clone. There's another way that you could go about having wild authorial control. Yeah. And that's doing it uh, without any rules or explanation. Like, that. this is one of the weird things about playing some of these more indie RPGs is that you can kind of just rework how things go. Like, I've played Mm -hmm. Dungeon World where the rogue was like a... Like, just a sniveling wretch who uh, was unable to do any, like, neat tricks. They weren't all sorts of magical. They were basically, like, you know, someone who steals things. And that was the extent of their power and abilities. And it was rad, and Dungeon World did it really well, and it worked very nicely. But I've also uh, been listening to uh, The Gauntlet's We Hunt the Keepers. Mm -hmm. And they have a rogue who is essentially Assassin's Creed. Uh, And it works. Like, the moves for the rogue allow them to do things that totally fit. And, like, you know, a player can say, oh, I'm a rogue, I am blending in with people, and I'm going to dive from from 200 feet in the air and just kind of land and do the thing. And there's no reason you couldn't play a game with just that kind of level of epicness going on, right? So, if you were playing... uh, urban shadows but extreme you just say at the beginning hey players feel free to go extreme like there is nothing wrong with the hunter saying yeah i use a magic spell that i know to rip a hole in reality because i'm gonna go punch the devil so okay i think that the difference though is that for most games the GM is. So let's just talk about masks for a okay. second, because again, I'm like living in masks constantly. Yeah. Um. Well, you and even really, this is true of, of other systems as well. But like the but the the GM is explaining like when things happen. The GM is taking an action. Either the player or the their like their antagonist is making an attack, or the antagonist or some organization or nature or whatever is changing in some way and the player is reacting like in yeah and so in 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 masks in particular you roll as a player to defend or to react to attacks on you and you roll to make attacks or directly engage other people yeah the gm never has to roll to say they're attacking and i think that that's like where that happens like you can describe the craziest assassin's creedy stuff as a as a rogue in in uh in dungeon world but at some point the gm is going to say okay now roll to see if that happens right that's true so and so so, that's where the that's what the line i think would be so it's less necessarily about narrative control because narrative Mm -hmm. control can be all over the place yeah and more about being in the position that no one can tell you no yeah, it's about what are the limits to your authorial authority? Yeah. Authorial authority. Authorial authority. Right, and your narrative narrativism. Yeah. Uh, but basically, so yeah, I guess there there is very much that difference. But like, I think you could hit big epic feel without doing this. Yeah. Like what this yeah, does certainly. is explicitly says, hey, you the player are in charge now. 
Yeah, and I'm th- taking actions. No one gets to question that my actions happen. Yeah. But you can respond to them. Yeah. And I think that would need... Now, now I'm starting to think of like what that builds in the story. Yeah. I think it would require on a certain level that threats and problems can come about continuously. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm actually pulling back a little bit from, from like allowing it in Dungeon World. Because <laughs> like you get to the end of the dungeon, you get, you get midway through the dungeon, and your barbarian gets their authorial control, and they say, all right, I sniff at the air, and I find the scent of the person we're here to hunt. And taking my club, I bash through to them. And that would be a perfectly legitimate action mm-hmm. if you have that authorial control. Both yeah. of those are things that a barbarian should be able to do. And then you're five minutes into the session, and uh, your big bad is crushed to death. Yeah. Well, if they, if as soon as they roll to like, as soon as they say that I'm that they're attacking the big bad, then the that big bad, big can bad roll character to... gets to roll to defend. Yeah, that's or very roll true. to react and see what happens. Yeah. And maybe they lose, but maybe they don't. Right. It comes down to yeah. I don't know. It's it's very interesting. It is definitely a system about how. It's a system about competency because yeah. because here's another thing that this is how um, I, I didn't think about this earlier, but this is exactly what um, Headspace does. Headspace does this oh. ex- explicitly with its characters. It says if you are the Ronin and you want to do explosive stuff, it happens. You're the badass who does that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that stops you. If someone else wants to do those things, they have to roll. And the GM just has to deal, like, the GM isn't ever lose that authority, but the, the different players who are playing different playbooks gain that authority in the moment when they are doing the thing that they do. So that also kind of highlights the, your crew is not together. Yeah. Which is a definite thing in Headspace. Like, I guess you could all hang out together in a hallway. Yeah, I think I think that happens in Headspace. I, I've only oh, played yeah? Headspace once, but we we did stay together mostly. Okay. In my mind, Headspace just, is one of those... I mean, it's definitely a people split up because they're competent, yeah. but also like you might just end up in a situation where there are three targets, like maybe there's three enemy mechs run yeah. by the corporations, and so you've got the like the the um, the main hitter character has their gun skill, and they're going to be able to shoot and take down one of the mechs, but then the other two people have to do that, and then the Ronin isn't as good as guns as he has explosives, right? But yeah, they are at explosives. Uh- but yeah, it would definitely yeah. have to be any system that allowed this would have to be one that had either like the, the that source of antagonism would have to be able to shift or yeah. come back or escalate in some way. Like that's where like when the sort of at the root of all this conversation was the the style of fighting in sort of a shonen anime where like you've got these like Dragon Ball Z characters who are like fighting and fighting and fighting and someone goes ha ah, and they change colors and now they're more powerful. And like you could do that and they could just win and then the bad guy would go ah now I'm skinnier and taller and I've got more powers. Fight me again. James. I used to be I used to be yellow. Now I am blue. This this is so baffling as someone <laughs> who's really outside of that genre. <laughs> like yeah. I know conceptually that that in Dragon Ball Z you change hair color as you become yep. powerful. Yep. 
I do not know how it works. That's exactly how I just explained it. One of the characters goes, I have authorial control now. My hair is yellow. Except that that takes four weeks worth of episodes of them just screaming. But... Because again, I really wanted them to actually shout, I have authorial control now. No, they don't quite do that. <laughs> I but, know, but I want that. But it's also interesting because I think that that gets at, uh, so I think that that gets to another larger point, which is that like those stories aren't about fighting because the player, like the characters are just like, they're freaking insane. They have like basically limitless power to fight each other right. and will keep coming back forever and, and rarely do people die. Yeah. And, and even in something like, and so like, like, like there are like maybe Dragon Ball Z is a bad example, but like I've been watching My Hero Academia, which is is a newer show and in, about teen superheroes, and those characters get the their asses handed to them constantly. Teen superheroes but, doesn't seem up your alley. <laughs> I know it's really out of character <laughs> for me. Um, but those characters get their butts kicked constantly, but they just keep coming back because people are just very resilient in those in those stories because the stories aren't about the fighting. The stories are about the characters and the way that they talk and the way that they relate to each other. It's why when, when the characters scream at each other for four episodes and then their hair changes color, it's not about the fight. It's not about the powering up. It's about the taunting because we're learning about the characters when that happens. And you know- so it would be a way to take a, a game that is ostensibly about combat and make it about something else. Because when any character can see, can seize that narrative control at any moment, well then you can't, it can't be a game that's about fighting. Right. Yeah. Because the fight is, is done. Like ends at any moment. Yeah. Because one of the things that is, uh, man, dark secrets everywhere. Uh, dark secret of PBTA that continues over from all the other GM games is that the GM wins if they want to. Yeah. And if you give the same power to a player that is just, like, fully untethered, then they win if they want to. And that's okay. But, like, I think there's something to be said for, for like, having... Ah, man, I just keep coming back to moves. I keep coming back (laughs) to the idea of, like, very specific GM moves. Which kind of ties into headspace, because essentially, what uh, when the Ronin is using their explosives and can always do it, that is an ex- that's a uh, GM move. You don't make a roll; you blow something up with explosives. So if each player had a couple of moves that they do, that kind of keeps you in the fiction. It means they can't just solve every problem no matter what. Mm-hmm. It prevents, on a certain level, uh, okay, I just rewrite the universe. And like obviously with like a with a matrix style thing where it's like in the computer and everything like that, you have more freedom to change the reality in big, huge, broad ways. But if a player took authorial control and said, "I shut down the computer," then your game's kind of over. So I'm just like I'm, I pulled up uh, Headspace because I wanted to see sort of what it how, what it says because obviously it is a game where the GM has to deal with the fact that there are players who have essentially authorial control. Yeah. Um, over some things and like one of the things that it that it the way it deals with it is is the way that like a shonen anime would which is that it like you, it's it's encouraging you to push at people's emotions and make them sort of relate to each other and dig into the rage and fear and grief and need and ego and that sort of thing um, it also it tells the GM to be to honor the expertise of the players and okay. so if 
if the operators are uh, specialized in a certain thing, then give them the place to do that. And so, like, like the like, so the good example is there is a so there's a, there is a playbook called the Runner in in uh in headspace and they are the like mirror's edge type character who like r- parkours around the world yeah and and so maybe in your game or whatever game that we're playing here um you it isn't headspace you don't have authorial control all the time but you would want to set up scenarios in which your characters are all on top of buildings and then like let the player get authorial control and let them do sweet running stuff. I mean, in general, you want to set scenes on buildings. Yeah. <laughs> it also so so also um, Headspace suggests that you, that you can that the, the, the so you can threaten violence, but that's I feel like that's really like a bludgeony tool. The other yeah. two things that it says are um, offer bargains is one of the GM moves where you like okay. o- like because in theory they have like infinite cosmic power, but maybe that doesn't necessarily let them have the thing they want because maybe what they're looking for is friendship mm-hmm. and you can't just say, I'm your, you're my friend now because I said so. Um, and the other thing it says is seize control, put the operators exactly where you want them, um, drain their resources, establish events, bring in something from their past and make them deal with those things. They'll have unlimited in theory, if they have authorial control, they'll have unlimited power to deal with those things, but make them use that unlimited power to deal with the things that you want them to deal with. So that is, I, I think all of that is really good advice, but that does stop working to an extent if the GM also does not have that kind of control. Yeah. Well, the GM, because even in these systems where the GM loses control, they don't lose like... Com- like they don't get to say like the player doesn't get to say I- and I do a sweet giant I pull out a giant sword and I slay all the goblins they get to say I pull out a giant sword and I attack all the goblins and then the goblins get to roll to defend so right that still is true. like that is true it just makes those the results of those actions that the GM would normally say here is narratively what happens and it turns them into play to find out what happens actions right hmm now I'm starting to get like I'm getting real in my head now about this because <laughs> is there a significant difference between and the answer can be no there's not and that's okay mm-hmm. is there a significant difference between the GM between the player rolling to attack the goblins and the GM defending as the goblins in in the sense of what so, like, let's say I've pulled out my massive buster sword and I'm busting some goblins mm-hmm. and I'm not in authorial control mode and I roll with my strength, which is plus three. Yeah. So we're rolling to find out what happens. Yeah. Even in D&D. Yeah. Uh, that's when I don't have authorial control. Yeah. When I do have authorial control, I'm running up to the goblins. Uh, I'm taking on my buster sword. I'm slashing through them. And the GM rolls to avoid the attack. Yeah. Did that change the fact that for me, my attack still was a question? Um, do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, I do see what you mean. Kind of like a defense save, a, a D&D defense save versus trying to hit AC. So I think that the difference is this. If if the the player... It might come down to a, a, a like a descriptive point, yeah. Um, 
But when you are rolling, when you are rolling to hit a DC, yeah, and you fail to do that, yeah, you typically it that it, that ends up being described a little bit more like your player fit, like dropped their sword or they fumbled an arrow or something like they narratively didn't perform the attack optimally. Whereas if you roll to defend and the go- as the GM and the antagonist goblins succeed their defense role, they've taken an action that is sufficient to deal with whatever action the player described. The player didn't make a less of an action. They successfully did what they wanted. This is maybe a very fine line I'm yeah. drawing here. I'm leaning less and less to the GM making moves, like rolling to make moves, and more and more to the idea of them just allow, like playing and allowing the player to do things, right? I'm not 100% sure yet how they get control back if they're not making any rolls. If they're making the roll, I don't know that they're that the player essentially has that authorial control after all. Mm -hmm. Like what we're talking in terms of just how you narrate it, you could narrate it that way with everyone feeling awesome the whole time. Like one thing that I tried to do, and I don't know if I am always successful in it, is I try not to make a six minus be like, your character screwed up. You messed it up and so it didn't work. I try to instead be like, you know, they were faster than you. They were able to stop you. Something got in your way. Something else came up. And so if you're already in that the player is awesome descriptive mode, then there might not be a difference. That said, I don't think that this point is lost. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think you could look at that and go like, okay, so what was the last 40 minutes? Uh, (laughs) Because I think you could play with the GM retaining some of their authorial control and just going into... And just, like, being the fan of the player and having the player do the awesome thing. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you do with masks, that the when the player chooses... When the player chooses to use their moment of truth, the correct thing to do as the GM is go, okay, and you might continue to play in the scene. I think some people just say, okay, you describe the scene now. But there's no reason you can't have the GM talking and doing things during a moment of truth. So, okay, how about this? Yeah. I want to just I want to maybe push back a little bit and try this from a different angle. Okay. I just so let's just talk about masks for a second. So following through the, the that same type of action of a player is attacking a supervillain. If 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 it is just sort of set up with authorial control the way it is typically, yeah. when you do that, you as the as the hero would roll to directly engage a threat. Yeah, And if you roll sufficiently well, like you're the only one rolling, you roll sufficiently well to hit, then you get to choose from this list of things that happens. And and the camera follows your character. It follows the actions that come out of it. Like the actions that result out of that attack are actions that focus on the, the player, the hero. If the hero has authorial control and they attack the villain... Then the villain would. There isn't really a defense role other than defend, but let's just say they take a powerful blow. Could unleash their powers. They could unleash their powers, but let's say we want the same scenario to play out where they okay, are yeah, hit. Yeah. 
Um, so then they would roll take a powerful blow and the resulting action is a list of things like they have to remove themselves they lose control of their powers they lash out at their allies they give ground and so I think it's more about like where is the narrative flowing out because you know so like in when the GM describes a villain attacking yeah the and, and the GM has the authority like we're just playing masks normally now yeah. So the player is attacking the villain to steal their wand, the source of their power. They will roll to, re- to directly engage a threat, and and then if they succeed at their role, then they'll get to... Then we follow their narrative, the actions that come out of their actions. We don't necessarily follow the, the villain. Like, the person who rolls is the person whose narrative we follow out, interestingly. So if the player has narrative control, they describe an attack on the wand and the player goes, oh God, I've got to roll something to try to defend or whatever. And they would roll, take a powerful blow. And then based off of the action that they choose, we're following that action out. We're almost a little less interested in whether or not the player's action succeeded because we know that it did. I don't know. Maybe that's, again, maybe I'm drawing a very fine line here, but it feels almost a little bit like spotlighting. Like the thing that we're doing the mechanic about is the part that we're interested in following away from the action. Right. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Which I know is a super fine line there and that may not even be worth really making a distinction about because you're right. It is very similar. I, I also don't know that it necessarily fully tracks because if the player has the authorial control, we're still interested in the player. What happens yeah. with them, right? Because like, if the if the GM rolls and manages to get one of the goblins out, we're not suddenly doing the adventures of Gratschnach, the goblin running through the caves trying to get away from mm-hmm. the hero. I think. So I, let, I, let's. I think. I think we aren't though. I think. I think we are. So if we are playing, especially if we're playing masks or yeah. or some kind of a PBTA game where we're talking about a play to find out what happens. Yeah. The thing where we find out what happens is when we roll. Like when the GM or the person with authority con- authorial control describes what happens, there's no finding out there. We know that happened. Yeah. And so we are interested in the role and what happens out of it. Like when 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 we play masks and you describe the action of a villain, we follow my character's reactions to that. And then we only check back in with what happened. So like if you roll an attack and I try to dodge or unleash my powers to defend, we flow out of that action. The narrative flows out of that action following my character. And we only check back in on what happened with the villain and their side of that story. When it's, when it's your turn to seize can like to focus the story again. And then we pick back up on them. We're not, we don't care about the minutia of like, um, of like, did they hit the ground when they punched me and I dodged out of the way? Like we, we only care about yeah. that in so much as it's the place where they, they start positioning themselves for their next action because we are interested in more in the, in the finding out what happens. Which means actually that a system that trades narrative control back and forth inherently sort of says your character is going to get to do cool things now because you have narrative control, but we're going to care about it a little less because we're focusing on the play to find out what happens thing. I think that that there's part of that, but I think that it also is important to pay attention to the fact that like that the play that if you are doing kind of like, you know, the kind of story gamey stuff that we tend to do then the players should be the protagonists. Even in trad games, the players yeah. should be the protagonist. And, like, 
where a lot of things stop being fun is when the players aren't the protagonist. And so I think even if the player is doing their, even if the player has zero chance of failing something, their character is still the main character, right? Like, Spider-Man gets cosmic powers. We still care about Spider-Man. Because he's Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know that it necessarily gives... That losing authorial control necessarily makes you the most interesting character there, right? So, maybe what the structure that this works better for is one where there isn't a strict antagonist role. Mm -hmm. And so like something like an apocalypse world or (laughs) dare I say, uh, without any knowledge, Dragon Ball Z, where you have like a lot of disparate agents that are doing their own thing, all trying to essentially get the same goal, uh, going after scarcity basically. Yeah. And then like collecting the Dragon Balls, collecting the Dragon Balls. I I knew that. I didn't know there was a tournament. I did know that you oh, wanted to play Dragon anime. Balls. There's a tournament. <laughs> I'm learning so much about shonen anime. <laughs> Someday we'll do a podcast where somebody teaches me that. Yeah. Um but so like if you've got that going on, then you essentially can you can essentially build the characters coming after each other. And so yeah. this is where I was getting into the idea for my Riverdale idea, for my yeah, Riverdale yeah, yeah. Gossip Girl XOXO. Oh, I know more about that. Yeah. Do, do, do we have time to chat about that? I think we yeah, do, right? I think we have. We're at, so not for the podcast, but we are at 49 minutes. So we've got another like 10, 15 cool. minutes to talk about it. Uh, so so here's, here's kind of where like, <laughs> where Shonen Anime meets teen drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this could also extend into urban fantasy kind of things where you just, you just wouldn't have a GM. The players are in charge of themselves and maybe the faction that they're, that they're most connected with. Right. So like if you are a werewolf, if you are the werewolf, then minor werewolves that are like on your side, you'll probably just play. If you send someone to go infiltrate the vampire hideout, you're probably playing as them because we're going to have to split some GM control here or have it so that the GM is literally just bit parts. But what I'm thinking in terms of uh, Riverdale and XOXO specifically is that the flow of those TV shows, of those kind of teen drama TV shows, tend to be that one person is in charge at a time. One person Mm -hmm. essentially has the popularity power. So, like, things have been going bad and like, you know, no one knows what to do and everything's out of control and these people are breaking up and there might be a murder around. And then Cheryl shows up and it's like, oh, Cheryl's got this. And she's doing all sorts of stuff like causing people to betray each other, taking advantage of things. And that is her taking that narrative control. And so from there, she can be doing some of the decisions about like what's going on on kind of like the the darker mystery side of things, because this game ultimately is about both teen drama and murder murder (laughs) murder most foul um but so i'm kind of wondering about essentially setting it so that if you have (laughs) more and more i want to call it (laughs) popularity um but that if you have kind of that teen drama chip 
that bounces around that you are getting to do things where you're manipulating NPCs on a mass scale, that you're having big, important things that you just do, and people are kind of having to deal with you being on a warpath. It's it's almost like taking Darkest Self mm-hmm. and saying, it's not about doing bad things, it's about doing big things. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm playing with with that, and I'm... I'm I'm always going back and forth as to whether there's a GM in that game or not. Yeah. Because part of me wants the players to be making decisions based on the aspects of their characters that kind of affect the plot. But I think having having the option for like you you just did the cool thing and it's time for prom and you're going to roll into prom and just like just own the entire party. You are king and king, queen, emperor, god of the party. And I think yeah. that that is something that's like really intrinsic to that media that is not well that's not well covered by players making rolls <laughs> and some rolling first a 15 and then a 4. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's where, like, so the thing we have alluded to is, is, and the thing that I think that I am actually more interested in than really in the minutia of, like, who had, like, what does exactly having uh, authorial <laughs> control mean yeah. is that, is that, like, that, that ebb and flow of that control back and forth of, like, what is the thing that, that exactly triggers when Cheryl gets to take control versus when, um, any other character in that show <laughs> betty uh, archie veronica um Moose. what is exactly that what is exactly the thing that triggers that is when cheryl takes control and jughead loses control like what happens right. there like what is the moment in the story what is the parry that happens that changes priority and right of way like yeah. what is that how does what are the fencing priority rules of role-playing storytelling and then can could like for your XOXO game, could we build a system that was robust enough to cover enough scenarios that we wouldn't need the GM acting and that everyone would be acting in such self-interest with one person being on a warpath, basically functioning like a GM in, in the way that everyone has to respond to them. Yeah. That's what I want. That That's what I want to capture so badly. Yeah. And it's going to be tough to do. But that's kind of where I'm... And so, like, obviously with that, that I'm writing from... Not from the ground up, because I am using probably a PBTA uh, starting point. But for that, the moves are going to control the authority of control. It won't just be a thing, you roll high enough so you get it. It'll be a thing that uh, you're making moves that have to do with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Probably, specifically, your playbook moves... Although I could see maybe a couple basic move things being a possibility. There's something to be said for doing some investigation, getting some information on who might be the killer. And then because of that, you get to come be super cool at school. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But yeah, obviously so there's... I'm oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, but there's obviously also non-investigation things that should give you control. If you go to cheerleading tryouts and you just crush it, then you should have authorial control for a little while. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It's something we're going to have to think about more. Um, I don't know if 
for me, there's enough to really like write a whole game there. But I think that I'm really interested in in this XOXO game you're working on as a as a sort of a thought experiment on what GM ish games look like. Yeah, it's because I've now played a, a bunch of GMless games, and I've played a couple games I'd call GM full, like yeah. Noir World. Um, but it's the GM. It's like even as that's swapping around, it's not swapping around in a self-interested way. Like the GM in Noir World yeah. should not be trying to push their interests, and I think the GM in XOXO absolutely, absolutely should be. Does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. And it's not lost on me that there is a uh planned playset for Noir World that is also Riverdale. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, John. Direct competition. Direct competition, like five like direct competition like three years after his Kickstarter, I think. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. Yeah. Our friendship should make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully. So okay, so I think we have we have some interesting ideas. Um, I don't know where exactly we're going with that. I like the idea that this sort of like if we could maybe through working out some stuff in XOXO, we could work out an interesting and 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 robust enough system of parries and counters and stuff that we could that it could be its own standalone thing that you could lay onto other systems. I don't know. Yeah. It'll be at least a very interesting experiment to see if we have to if you have to build a system from the ground up with this in mind or if you can just drop it on top of something else. Yeah. Cuz I don't know that we have the answer to that. I'm about ready to start playing around with making a minimal uh making minimum a minimum viable, viable project for it mm-hmm. just because I feel like it's been in the back of my head. I've been kind of playing around with it. Um I have way more work to do on Pasión and I do yeah, not intend to put yeah, Pasión yeah. on the back burner. It is on the fore burner. But I also want to have some progress into the next one because I'd love to bring it to Metatopia. Yeah. I think I'm more interested in bringing that to Metatopia than I am bringing the um, the straight up slasher film. Yeah. Found footage is so good for that. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If If that comes out someday, I want it so badly. All right. Well, so why don't you, you the listener, seize control of this narrative. Reach uh-huh. out to us. Find us on Twitter. You can find us together at, at Stop, Hack, and Roll. Or you can find me individually at, at And The Meltdowns. <laughs> you can also find me individually at Dr. Captain Cobalt. You can find all of our episodes and links to some of the games we've been working on at StopHackAndRoll.com. If you have something that is longer than 140 characters or you want to send us uh, the PDF James. of your game or something like that, um, you can reach out to us at uh, James or Brandon at StopHackAndRoll.com. Or you can use the whole tweet instead of just half of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It's 140 characters forever in my heart. Uh, if you like the show and you would like to help us to keep expanding our terrible reach, uh, go rate and review us on iTunes or whatever your other podcatcher is. iTunes is really kind of the the big one. That's That's the gold standard that just kind of sets up every other sorting <laughs> algorithm. It's weird. It's confusing. You know this already. But yeah. five stars helps us out a whole lot. Uh, we make this podcast with the support of our Patreon backers, and we'd like to welcome a new backer, uh, who is Andrew Gross. 
as well as thank uh, old favorites like the It You Trash Crew, Shuffle Quest, Robert Kosick, Blake Ryan, Troy Pitchelman, Nora Blake, Amar Elazizi, Clay, who is terminally nerdy, and Zoe Rich. If you would like to help support this show, future shows, and other stop, hack, and roll endeavors, check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. But if you can't support us financially, that's totally fine. Come be part of our community. That's like this whole episode came out of a community discussion. So join our community by joining us on our Discord, which you can find at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stophackandroll.com. So as you're parsing through the code that creates the very reality that we live in, Jumping through the zeros and ones, pulling them aside, putting on six sunglasses so that you can really just crush it at the swim meet this week. Don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Is Vincent Baker the Richard Stallman of, of pen and paper games? Uh, I think he he's is not happy that because he can hear you. Mm. Um, this is something I've learned that he can hear the people <laughs> on the opposite side of the call. Interesting. Hi, Pippin. So it could just be that he's looking for you and he's upset that I'm not letting oh. you in or something like that. Um, I'm trapped outside. Let me in, Pippin. <laughs> do not make knocking noises. <laughs> <laughs> um.